The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to Back on Air, the podcast all about living life after second chances. I am, of course, your host, Jared Lipscomb, and I am totally bugging. That's a 1990s reference because I have got pop culture icon, Miss Elisa Donovan on. You may know her from such hits as Beverly Hills 90210, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, or Amber from the iconic film Clueless. That is right. Elisa Donovan is here to talk all about her new book, Wake Me When You Leave. Love and Encouragement Via Dreams from the Other Side. Wake Me When You Leave is such an incredible book. It is kind of like a tell-all book about how her career was on the fast track until her new show unexpectedly got canceled, which we know a thing or two about cancellations. Her relationship ended and her father was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Now, this book, Wake Me When You Leave, provides hope and inspiration to anyone struggling with the loss of loved ones, careers, or relationships while trying to stay true to themselves. And of course, Elisa spills some BTS Hollywood tea because that's what you got to do when you're in this industry. You got to give us a little something. You know, we want to know the backstories. So it's a really great read and it is available anywhere books are sold. So get yourself a copy. But before we dive into this interview with Elisa, let's get into a little bit of cancellation coverage. So I have this concept that I want to cancel and that is imposter syndrome. I don't know if any of you all feel this and I have felt it a lot in my life and I haven't felt it in a couple of years because I was obviously preoccupied with just trying to survive and live and get by and beat cancer and get my transplant and all of that. But it's slowly sinking back in. It started, I don't even know when it started, but a good example was when I was doing makeup, uh, when I was becoming a makeup artist, you know, I was a waiter and trying to do makeup and I would never say, oh, I'm a makeup artist. I'd always say I'm a waiter who does makeup because it felt like it was an imposter. And then when I was finally, you know, making my money doing weddings and and other things, doing makeup and getting paid for it, I still was like, well, I'm not really a makeup artist till I work with celebrities, which is absolutely not true and offensive to all the makeup artists in the world who do proms and weddings and are there for those special occasions, you know, but it was just in this internal thing. I just never felt good enough. And I never felt like I was an authentic makeup artist. And it haunted me, you know, and then I finally got celebrity clients. And I was like, well, then I need to be in a union and I need to have an agent. And I it just it the cycle didn't end. And I mean, it didn't stop. And then I got sick. And I, you know, I'm now reevaluating it a couple years later, because I was asked to go on the, the site cameo, you know, which is where celebrities give you shout outs, you pay us celebrity and they give you a birthday wish or whatever the case is. And I was asked to join Cameo and I was very hesitant to do so. And then I joined and then I was hesitant to announce that I was on. So I'd actually been on Cameo for quite some time. And I even did a few requests that people found me without me advertising, which was really kind of bizarre. But the imposter syndrome sunk back in. I even told the the cameo team, I said, I'm not a celebrity. What do you want me on here for? And they were like, no, it's not about that. This is about connecting with people who follow you. And clearly, no matter the number of people, you're connecting with people. And I think, well, that's true. I have many people in my DMs who I talk to on a regular basis. And you all know who you are. And we we connect on there and in my DMs and we check in on each other. And, you know, we have different things in common, whether it's makeup or cancer or just wanting to talk about Britney Spears. So, you know, there's a lot to that. But I was feeling that imposter syndrome. And then it happened again, as 
it was national either cancer survivor day or cancer survivor month. I'm not sure. And basically I was posted on the leukemia lymphoma society's Instagram page as this kind of face of a cancer survivor. And I thought, I'm not a survivor. I'm not a survivor until I hit five years of being cancer free. Like this, this feels like I shouldn't be the face of cancer survivorship. And of course, has so often is the case with these kinds of things, you know, today, as I was scrolling Instagram, right before I was going to record, I get tagged in a message from sips with survivors. And they say, Jared, what are your thoughts on this? And it was literally them talking about survivorship and saying you are a cancer survivor the second you get that diagnosis, because that diagnosis, you have to survive the mental anguish of coping with the diagnosis. You have to survive the treatments and those treatments are not easy. And with that, it kind of was this aha moment of the imposter syndrome, I don't know, kind of faded away. And then I looked back on my makeup artist and I was like, I was always a makeup artist, even when I was a waiter and, and doing, um, you know, weddings on the side, I was still a makeup artist and I can still connect to people and have, have people who, who we follow each other and we can connect on cameo and I can share makeup tips and raise funds for be the match, which, you know, I'm an ambassador for. And I almost threw away this great opportunity to raise money for Be The Match because I was too embarrassed that I didn't think I was good enough to be on Cameo, which is ridiculous. I should be raising any amount of dollars for this incredible organization that helped save my life. I should be celebrating that I am a cancer survivor. And anyone who's feeling this imposter syndrome, it is so normal. And I feel like a lot of us face this. And it's something that is addressed occasionally and then not talked about a lot of times. And we really celebrate people who hustle and we celebrate the success, but we never talk about not feeling maybe that we quite belong. And even as I host this podcast, I think, does anyone really want to hear from me? I mean, I'm going to have imposter syndrome as I'm recording this, which is a great meta moment for a podcast. But, you know, it's a very real thing. And I think it's something that we need to cancel. And before we get into this interview with Elisa Donovan, let me just take it on a lighter note. And we have to talk about my girl, Chloe Kardashian. She frequents this back on air podcast almost as much as Demi Lovato and Britney Spears do. Chloe, of course, promoted a reusable water bottle. Everyone and their granny has it, including my mom, my brother, my sister. It's very colorful and it marks how much water intake you have for the day. So what the deal is, is she found out that people were taking disposable plastic water bottles and using about five of them to fill up this reusable water bottle. So she rightfully got on social media and said, you all, the point of a reusable bottle is not to waste 10 plastic bottles in the meantime. It's to reduce, reuse, recycle. And then as oft is the case with the Kardashians, someone was quick to point out that they live very extravagantly and fly private and are not the most eco-conscious of celebrities. And, uh, you know, I kind of went with the mom mentality. Immediately, I was siding with Chloe. Then immediately, I sided with this girl. You know, I was like, yeah, fuck y'all. Quit using plastic water bottles. And then I'm like, fuck you, Chloe. Quit flying private. And then Chloe responded and was like, guys, I'm just letting you know, it's really, really stupid to, you know, have a reusable bottle. I'm learning. I'm human. I'm allowed to learn more about going green and eco-conscious stuff. And it's true. She is allowed to learn more. Now, it's one thing to, to educate yourself about systemic racism and all of that kind of thing. It's a whole nother thing to educate yourself about, you know, going green and the fact that like you should know 
that flying private is bad for the environment, all those carbon emissions. Like you can't truly be that dumb, Chloe. And I know you're not. So, you know, it's kind of like an excuse, but hopefully this will be a wake up call for people to go more green for Chloe to go more green. And it takes little action. So it's not a cancelable offense. And we're obviously not going to cancel Khloe Kardashian for encouraging hundreds of millions of people to stop wasting plastic bottles. So that's a good thing she's done. But also, you know, anytime a celeb speaks on anything, someone is going to be their hater. And if you listen to canceling the Kardashians, my episode from a few weeks back, you will know that the Kardashians are uncancelable. So with that being said, I do have one correction to make. I did refer to Courtney Stodden uh, incorrectly. I had no idea that they had come out as non-binary and I referred to Courtney Stodden as she. I want to apologize that that was not my intent. I was unaware of their change and coming out. Congratulations to them during this Pride Month. I hope they are celebrating and let's get into this interview with Elisa Donovan. Alisa Donovan, thank you for coming back on air with me. Thrilled to be here. I'm so excited. I want to say that, first of all, I want to ask you how you're doing, because I think you're amazing and your whole vibe is exactly how I think life is meant to be lived. And so I just want to ask how you're doing. That means so much to me. I'm doing great. I just found out actually this week that I'm in remission. Woo! Things are going That's great. Amazing. Yes. So it's been quite the journey. You're very familiar with the curse of cancer and how it affects yeah. people's lives and changes. And we're going to get all into that. But thank you so much for asking. I am on a road to recovery. I'm feeling positive. And I've learned, you know, one foot in front of the other to really keep it going. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you have an amazing new book coming out on June 8th, Wake Me When You Leave. Pretty powerful stuff. I want to dive into it, but I would be remiss to not talk a little bit about pop culture for my listeners because this is my first living legend in studio with me or at least via Zoom studio. (laughs) So I have to ask, it just... I'm obsessed, obviously. I'm a gay boy who's 33. I'm obsessed with Clueless. I was obsessed with Sabrina the Teenage Witch, (laughs) 90210, Ginger, you know, all of them. So my question for you, it's a a quick two-parter. A... What does it feel like to know you are forever a part of our pop culture herstory because Amber is a goddess in the gay world? And part B, what's it like to be a gay icon? (laughs) Well, first of all, I should say I have a gay brother. And the best story that I have related to Clueless is a stranger coming up to me and saying, oh, I, I met your brother in a piano bar in Boston and started chatting to me. I was like, oh, that's so great. I said, and I started to talk as if they were friends, right? And then I slowly realized that they weren't actually friends, that my brother started talking to him. Long story short, my brother used me as like a magnet. He's like, you know, my <laughs> sister's in. And then he was like, oh, and I went, so now I'm, I've become a wingman inadvertently. So you know that's what? how that goes. Talk about <laughs> taking a role that you originated, you know, <laughs> several years ago and having your family members just, you know what? Embrace Props it. to your brother, because I, I gotta <laughs> say, I gotta say, I don't know if I would be above pulling the same type of move because I think I might pull the same thing. Are you aware that there are so many Instagrams dedicated to the fashions of Amber and the cast of Clueless. Are you aware of this kind of cultural renaissance that's happening with the 90s trends coming back? I am. I've noticed more and more that when I see that I'm tagged in something, if it's not someone that I know, 
I've just started to understand that part of Instagram. Ah. Forgive me for being an old lady. And I went, <laughs> oh, this just keeps going. Like it just yes. keeps going. Like I yes. don't, I don't think I've reached the first one. You know, I don't, it's, it's an endless stream. I mean, it's, I don't know what it's like to not be a part of that. It's, it's very bizarre. You know, I feel like I've been so fortunate and so many of the things that I've worked on have become these iconic sorts of things like 90210 and Clueless and Sabrina. And so it feels like I've gotten really lucky, you know, and always played the kind of spice in the soup, you know, the, all the characters I play in those are always people that are, you know, just stirring the pot a little bit. Which is why the gays, you know, we kind of claim you as one of our own. And we, (laughs) you know, we always claim the sassiest, best dressed mean girl as our own. Well, that's great to hear because I know a lot of actors constantly try to separate themselves from the, you know, their, their starring role or their first thing. So it's really nice to hear that you embrace it and you're, you're, you're in that world. You have to. I mean, I'm incredibly grateful for it. It's what started my career. It, it's nice to do something that brings people joy. I'm very grateful for it. I think often people, we feel like we want to, actors want to separate themselves from a role because you can get trapped in it. And I certainly have had that experience as well. And I think creatively, we all want to do all sorts of things. And sometimes when, ironically, when you have something that's very successful and it's so specific, it is hard to break out of that. But I've never felt like I've creatively felt sometimes stifled by it. But then you just have to find other avenues. Ultimately, it's always been a huge gift to me. Oh, that's awesome. I, I mean, it really is so nice to hear that because I feel like we look at actors and people, you know, in Hollywood or it kind of, we put them on a pedestal. Let's be, let's be frank. And so it's nice to hear this refreshing, like, I just, you know, I like to work and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful yes. to work instead of that ungrateful attitude, which I yes. feel you've had a lot of life lessons that happened to you. And I feel you may, maybe you've had a shift at some point yes. where, where you're more open <laughs> to, to accepting this. I know I certainly have after my cancer battle that, you know, yes. just there's a shift that happens. So I want to dive into this book because when I read just, you know, the blurb that I was given chills down my spine. Mm. So you, you mentioned a series of three incidents kind of compounding mm-hmm. all at once. And that led you to this book. Can you just kind of expand on what happened if you're comfortable talking about those kind of events? Yes, for sure. So in a nutshell, I was doing the series of Sabrina and I was in a relationship with the person I thought I was going to marry. And, you know, I had a healthy family. So over the course of a very short period of time, uh, Sabrina got canceled. I tested for 11 new series and did not get a job. My boyfriend and I broke up and then my dad got cancer and all of this happened like doot, doot, doot. And so in what felt like an instant, I was literally stripped of everything that made my life make sense, my entire identity. And I was completely lost and I was trying to hold on to anything I could and there was nothing to hold on to. And so I, I just thought if I can just get a job, if I can just get another job, my dad's going to get better. Or if my dad gets better, then my life's going to get better. Mm. Or if I can get back together with my, you know, and the relationship that ended was there were two because 
I'm a person who used to get in a lot of relationships. <laughs> with the, person <laughs> that, the, 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 the big one of the, the guy I thought I was going to marry, you know, that was a mutual decision. We both decided like it wasn't going to work and it was really hard. And we both cried about it. It was not an easy decision. And then I immediately, um, I was going to say railroaded into it because that's what it felt like, but that's not the right terminology. I just uh, immediately got involved with someone else and okay, thought, oh, yeah. this person's going to be my person, you know? And when, right when that happened is when my, the show got canceled and my dad, well, the show was canceled. Then we broke up. I started immediately going out this person and then my dad got cancer. And then I immediately went, oh, I should have never broken up with my boyfriend. So then I started backtracking everything going, Oh no, we, I, I just made the wrong decision. And I tried to retrace my steps and go back in this other place. And as we all know, you cannot go backwards. We There's just no can't. going backwards. And people There's don't no understand that. I try to bring the, the concept of trauma and you know, big setbacks and big comebacks to a wider audience. So I want people to know, like, you know, waking up with a hangover is a setback in itself. Sure. But it's right. not the same until you know this feeling of, like you said, cancer knocking on your family's member's door and trying to bargain. And it really is like this, you're, you know, you're bargaining yes. back and you keep looking backwards. I did it when I got diagnosed. I said, why did I drink so many damn diet Cokes thinking that right. it was going to be my blood, you know? And, yes. and so that, that's a very interesting thing that you brought up that you're, you're searching for how to correct via the past, but there is no yes. going back. No. And so I imagine this was a dark period because the myth is we go from a very dark place and then all of a sudden we're back and we have a book, but I imagine there's a little bit more oh. to your story. Oh Alisa. I, I, I think there, there is, um, there will be a book after this, which picks up right where this one, uh, left off. But yeah, I mean, there was an entire period of real darkness. You know, mm -hmm. my dad passed several months later. So he was, he was sick for a very short period. It was very brutal on my whole family, my mother, my brother, my sister, and I, so you have the, the grief process, but then also this sense of, you know, the, there's kind of the immediate grief, but there are so many administrative things to do and like things to orchestrate and, you know, papers to sign and insurance to deal with and, and services and all this stuff. And then when that's over, I remember I went back home to LA and my parents were living in North Carolina. And so I flew back home after the services and I went, Oh, Oh, this is really, this is really the start of it. Isn't it? You know, I it thought I had been going through, yeah, I thought I had gone through, you know, the, the worst part of it, but you really can't start to metabolize the, the, the emptiness and the, the, the real loss until you go through your life without the things, right? Mm -hmm. So that period afterwards was by far the hardest, the hardest year of my life. And in every way, I didn't really know how to be with friends. I didn't, you know, I would go on auditions and be kind of like staring at the mm. producers, like what, what, what are, what are we doing here? And it was this thing of like, you know, oh, she's so great. And she's so funny. And she's all these things. And I would walk in there like a zombie, you know, I'd walk in there like, totally. what, are we, what are we doing? What do we need here? And I would start a scene and feel like, well, what, what, why, why are we doing this? Like, what, who, who, who are these people? Like, why am I? And I would have these out of body experiences where 
you know, I just had to, I had to really reach this bottom place of what do I want from my life? And this bottom place that you speak of, is it, is it a physical where you're like, so depressed, you know, there's some people who get depressed where they can't leave bed. Is it that kind of type of bottom? I mean, whatever you're willing to discuss, of course, but I would say, I would say it felt like that at, at points. I mean, I remember sitting in my house and just staring at the carpet for like an hour, you know, and being like, Oh, Oh, all this time has just passed, you know, and then you see your voicemails stacking up. And then I would walk, go outside and just kind of wander and not really. I started to be very late to things. You know, I'm a person, I'm always the first one on set. I'd be early before transpo, you know, like I'm very, (laughs) I take it seriously. And I would just kind of be meandering, you know, Uh show up, uh maybe not show up. And there was also a manic sense at certain points where I was just, you know, searching for something to, to fix me, you know, absolutely. we ultimately have to just understand that it's a long process and you have to sit. I think the biggest thing I learned was having to sit with the discomfort. You know, we, as a culture are not, we don't like to be uncomfortable. Everything that we have created, everything that technology enhances and embraces is to create comfort and to create a situation where we don't have to look at things we don't want to look at, Mm. where we don't have to feel things we don't want to feel. And the reality is, is we are spiritual beings having a physical existence here. And Mm -hmm. it's the full picture that we have to focus on, you know, and I think to really come through these things, sometimes you just have to sit with the muck, you know, you have to like get dirty. And this is and the part where where I say like, yes, a hangover is a setback. But when you have these types of really traumatic experiences, and sometimes like, like you mentioned, it's the compounding of the experiences yes. that really allow you to pull yourself out from yourself, whether in, the, in your case, it sounds like it wasn't really a choice. You were just kind of going through the motions and having these out of body yeah. experiences. But whether it's not by choice or by choice, like I had to actively say, listen, I might not make it. I need to look out at the trees that I see. I need to look up yes. to the beautiful sky, you know, so it's so totally different stories, but the same essence is there, which is why yes. I find your story so, you know, powerful. Because you had you had to decide you have a choice, right? Exactly. I don't know how long I have, or I don't know what it lies ahead, but am I going to embrace where I am? Am I going to try to see not only, you know, the, 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 the joy and the positive things, but actually just live through what is happening. And there is great beauty in that. And there is great strength in that and experience that you otherwise would never have had, you know, and I, I feel like I have brought my whole life has done this 180, 360, 920. I don't know, you know, like this whole shift that, you know, I'm not the same person. While of course I am, my soul is the same, you know, but the way my life looks is not the same. And I am really happy about that. So as you are sitting with these feelings and really accepting the the pain and starting to i assume eventually things start to take a turn or or something happens am i correct a, a spiritual type things start yes. occurring or can can you elaborate 
Yeah. The first thing that really, that the, we went through the first year my dad passed on January 1st, which, you know, is Ooh, very, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Happy new year. Uh-huh. And, uh, so a full year, people often talk about the firsts, right. When you lose someone that the firsts are really difficult, the first birthday, the first holiday, you know, whatever it may be. And so we had gotten through all of those. And I think there was this feeling of having, you know, run a marathon or something, right. That we, we were just kept trying to like, just get through it, just get through it, just get mm-hmm. through it. And I had this moment where I went, maybe that's actually not the point at all. We're not, not supposed to just get through it. This isn't a day like any other day. It's the anniversary of my father's death. That is a different day. You know, yeah. like, why are we trying to ignore it? And I had this dream where I was having a lot of trouble sleeping and, you know, would be up all night and kind of wandering around and just not knowing what to do. And I had this experience of, I mean, people can believe it or not believe it, but I, I looked out the window and just said, my God, I, I, I have to sleep. I have got to sleep. Like I'm starting to lose my mind. And I was crying and I felt this physical, like this presence just tell me to go to bed. And I just, I got up and I walked into my bedroom and I sat down on the bed and I felt this <laughs> sounds crazy. No, let, let, I, I hey. felt a hand on my chest uh-huh. kind of gently push me down to sleep and say, go to sleep now. And I went to sleep and I, 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 I woke up and I was in this place that to me, I call like a, a way station sort of in between worlds. And my dad was there and he, Oh, so you hadn't woken up. You hadn't woken up in your bed. I was in the dream. I got it. Got it. So, okay. Wow. 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 I am a little, all of this is in the the book, but this is the beginning of this experience of when you have a a visitation dream is what I would call it. I don't know if that's an official term. I kind of think (laughs) it is an official term, but I'm not sure. Um, It feels very different. From, mm-hmm. I have a very active dream life, a very active unconscious. I use it in my creative work and as healing work and things like that. But this kind of a dream is distinctly different from a regular dream. It's as if you're awake and you feel very cognizant of what's happening. It's just a different experience and you only you know it when you have one and then when you have your regular dreams you can tell the difference. So that was the beginning of me going, okay, wait a second. I had, I've always been a spiritual person. I've always kind of believed in the afterlife and a lot of different philosophies, but there was something really scary about it when I experienced it. Like it was, it was a very powerful moment that then I kind of just retreated even more, I think, mm-hmm. from life for a few months And then all of these things started to happen. All of these, uh, you know, unusual people coming into my life that had things to, to share with me and to offer me. And then I would get jobs that uh, they, they, they were always correlating with something that was going on in my life. And that was like healing something. The first movie that I did after my dad passed away was about a woman who made all the wrong choices in life. She thought she's super successful, but she has no relationship and no relationship with her family. So she gets to go back in time, go back in time 
and fix her relationships and remedy her relationship with her dad and her you parents. And I was like, ding dong, like you cannot make this up. <laughs> and again, and this is why I vibe with you so much. And I know how it is when you, you express a spiritual side, it can be embarrassing. People can have their mm-hmm. opinions. People can say, oh, you're crazy. You have no evidence. You have right. no proof. But again, we're in a different place when you experience this level of trauma, really, when it comes yes. down to it and grief and There's a mind shift that happens where you have to be willing to accept it because another person might just say, oh, I had a really weird nightmare where I saw my dad or a really wonderful dream where I saw my dad. Right. But like you said, you don't know it until you experience it. And in this Mm -hmm. case, you are the, you know, the the expert on this case because it's happened to you. It hasn't happened to me. But it is fascinating that it's not tied to a specific religion or or belief Mm -hmm. system. And that's what I think Mm -hmm. is really powerful about what you're saying is it's not just Mm -hmm. you saying, okay, now trust me, now come convert to Scientology and you too can be in touch with, you know, your relatives. This is is cool. Yeah, there is no, I have no affiliation with any, any religion specifically. I was raised Catholic. I do not practice Catholicism. I don't go to, I, I find my own personal sense of, of God and spirit in many places. I, I, I don't, I don't have any specific affiliation with religion at all. And I feel like having these kinds of experiences that I've had makes me understand how it makes me sad when people get short sighted and feel like if you're not of this religion, you're wrong. If you're not doing it this way, you're wrong. Uh, you know, it, it it's just made it even more clear to me how how that's not what it's about. You know, whatever your beliefs are, they my my sense of you know a power greater than myself or of nature, the universe, God, Buddha, whatever you want to call it, it's all encompassing, right? There's no there's no wrong way to do it. Exactly. <laughs> yes, you, and especially once again, you have to find what comforts you. And, and it seems like this experience was not just comforting, but ultimately life changing. It led you on this direction and you were, um, I think I saw the word synchronicities and I think that's what you're referring to, like the movie happening and, and you get to to do all of this stuff. And I've had that to a smaller extent again, because it's Mm -hmm. just a different world. Once you tap into this new side of yourself, this kind of re rebirth, reincarnation, whatever you want to call it. Yes. It's like you've at you, you, uh, you know, people say sometimes it's also that you're just allowing or allowing ourselves to have more access to our brains, to our experience. So like if we had gone through oh. the world before with maybe 50% or 20%, you know, there's some percentage of the brain that they say that the conscious mind is, and I'm, I can't believe I'm forgetting what it is, but it's such a small amount. And the unconscious is, you know, when we tap into that, that's getting closer to really utilizing every part of ourselves. So, you know, perhaps it's like your eyes went, whoop, you know, they just <laughs> yeah. got opened and you're able, you have access to more, right. And, and Absolutely. feeling this experience of, like, I feel it opened me in this way. Like I have such a, an empathy for people and for life and for the human experience, you know, and I gravitate towards people that are more authentic and that are Mm -hmm. genuine, you know, and it isn't this deep, dark sadness that I'm living it. It's, it's the opposite. You know, it's, it's like this, I think that people feel often 
you know, getting back to that idea that we don't like to be uncomfortable. I think we feel like, oh, if I, if I, if I feel the the pain and the challenge, like it's going to devour me whole, you know, and I've had the experience that the reality is it's somewhat of a mirage, you know, you have to go through it to see that you can come to the other side, mm-hmm. you know, there's no way around it. I know that. Yes. So when you go try to go around it, big problems. Problems arise, arise no matter you know? what. Yeah. Anytime you try to, you, you try to play with the universe's plan. No, no, no. Yes. Karma, karma yeah. will have a better plan or whoever's out there will have a better plan for you and you won't like it. We can, we can That's be sure right. of that. Yeah. <laughs> you will not like it. <laughs> so the book, it covers so many topics, love, loss, starting over for the average reader. What do you hope it inspires in these in anyone who picks up this book, because obviously not everyone has had such life altering experience as you and I, where we really had to face life and death right in the face, but everyone should read this book. And what, what will people get out of it? Even if, if they haven't had a similar experience to you. Right. I I really hope that people will feel hopeful from it, that they will feel a connection to their humanness and to their own lives, like have a, have a, have a deeper appreciation and love for their own lives and for the people in their lives. And I feel like the biggest kind of lesson I'm supposed to be putting out there is that <laughs> we can, we can hold pain and sadness and joy at the same time. You know, one does not have to overtake the other, you know, there, there are moments when my dad was very sick and they have bought the hospital bed, replaced his bed at home. You know, he, he, he died at home. And, you know, there were these absurdly funny moments, like my mom and my brother, like trying out the hospital bed, like bouncing up and down, like, is it comfortable? <laughs> like, what's the weight? What's the thing? And I remember walking in there and I was like, what the fuck are you doing? You know? And they're like <laughs> yes. in hysterics laughing about it. You know, there are very funny things that happen at the same time. And I feel like, you know, you just incorporate all of it into life. and. Yeah. I want people to feel more comfortable sharing their stories and and sharing their challenges and their their grief and that when someone passes away it's not the end it just isn't the end it doesn't have to be it's a shift and it's a change I'm not sitting here having you know lunch with my dad but I will say I feel closer to him now than mm. I did when he was alive our relationship I feel is actually deeper and think that we can remedy things even when someone is gone. You know, we, there's a lot of fear often when someone's dying of like, Oh, and I remember this from my dad too. He suddenly, which was so hard to see, he wanted to, you know, fix all these things. And it was so hard to see, you know, like, Oh, he can't get, you know, he was suddenly like, I'm going to, you know, he, he started, um, he was such a Western traditional guy and I'm in Eastern medicine, you know, <laughs> acupuncture, bringing in the Chinese herbs. And he was like, ah, I'm not taking any of that, you know? And then in the last few days, he was like putting these herbs on his pulse points and like trying to do, you know, so on the flip side, us as the people who are going to keep going after he passes, mm. there's this feeling of, I want to fix it all. Like I want to, I want to get it all right now. You know, I thought we're going to have this great conversation, you know, this, this conversation that's going to remedy all of the troubles we've ever had between one another. And we're going to 
understand each other and it's going to be this beautiful hallmark moment. And guess what? That never happened. You know, mm-hmm. I said, yeah. I said to my dad when I first saw him in the hospital that, you know, it's okay, we're going to help mom. And I, I said something like that. And he, you know, lost it on me, started like yelling at me and telling me like, what are you talking about? I'm not dying. I'm not going anywhere. And I went, oh, okay, this is not going to go the way I had intended it to go. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Which is often the case again, as again, we just said, yep, you can't yep. go around it. You're nope. just going to have to go straight <laughs> through it. Well, I think that's a, a really great message to take away for the book and, and everyone is going to experience loss. It's a fact of life. So I, I do think that the focus of that aspect of your book is going to inspire so many people. I know I'm inspired. I haven't even fully read it and I'm already inspired. And just by speaking with so. you, you're, you're really opening up this dialogue for people to be more comfortable. Even me talking about the spiritual side. I don't really talk about this on my show because yeah. it is something that I keep to myself. So it's very empowering that you kind of lay it all out there like that. It's also, I was just going to say, you know, Several people have said this to me and I would never have said it myself, but I feel like since people keep saying it to me, maybe I should say it. Uh, (laughs) And you touched on it earlier that I think people often think that celebrities or people in the public eye have these perfect lives and that we don't have any problems and that everything looks like a, a shiny photo shoot. And that's just not the truth. And I think that's an important thing for people to that I hope that they get from this too, that it's, this is a really honest book, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a very open book and it's not an exploitative book. And I don't talk about having sex with famous people, you know, (laughs) like that's not what this book is about. (laughs) Um, Although, you know, there are some stories in there, but nothing, you know, there's nothing. um, Pop culture fans will be satiated, but there's more to this book. Okay. Yes. 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 So I wanted to ask you briefly before I, you know, wrap things up. I, I'm so impressed with your activism work when it comes to eating disorder awareness mm. and recovery. I did a, a quick search about it. You know, I can't relate. It's not something that's personally affected me, but I can only imagine growing up, you know, in your 20s in Hollywood that it mm. created this kind of monster of a, a disorder in you. And what makes you so passionate about speaking so vocally about it? Because a lot of people kind of recover and keep it private, you know? I know, I know. Um, I think this is, first of all, it's just a part of who I am as a person of being very open about these sorts of things. And also on the, the, the same token of you know, little, little girls would come up to me and say, you're so skinny. How do I get your body? How do I, and when I started hearing those things, I went, oh, this is not okay. This is not okay you know, and I knew already, I was already in recovery. I went into recovery shooting the film of Clueless. I mean, it was, I I was in not okay shape. And so I would not say that Hollywood gave me my eating disorder. I would say it absolutely just supported it. (laughs) (laughs) I had it when I showed up, I already had it, you know, this was not, you know, the cause, but the reason I'm so vocal about it is that a lot of people don't really truly recover from eating disorders. Mm-hmm. They live this kind of half life where their body is healthy enough to live, but they're in a prison of some kind. And, and it's a very unhappy wheel to be living in. And I am a firm believer that you really can recover. You really can. And the, the thing that drove me to get better is that I looked around and I saw, okay, I have this great job and my life is starting to change. 
and it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller because all I would do is go to work, go in my trailer, think about how fat I was and then go, uh, you know, do my job, come back, walk around the supermarket with nothing in my cart, walk out of the supermarket. You know, it was this, you know, I wasn't writing anymore. I wasn't creating my own work. I wasn't Mm -hmm. painting. I wasn't doing anything. And I went, oh, this is not the life I want to lead. I want to lead a full and happy life. And so I had to make the decision. I would say to anybody that is struggling with this, um, and I had a doctor tell me this, he's like, you have to make this your primary purpose to beat Mm. this thing. And he said an analogy about like a pack of wild horses can't keep you from it or something like that. And I, I thought about that a lot in the beginning. And I went, I have to be willing to make this my main focus to get better. And I did. So I'm vocal because I want people to know that you really can recover and that you can lead a happy, happy, full life that is not this prison of food, of eating or not eating and exercising and Mm -hmm. not, you know, it doesn't have to be that way, but you have to work at it. I mean, that's just so powerful that you're willing to put your story on the line just to, to help inspire I know it's like the cheesiest thing to say but if one person hears this and yeah one person can make a difference people are dying from from this disease I, totally I live in true. Los Angeles I see see yeah. people walking down the street and I'm, I I know these people are not healthy you know and I can't judge yeah. a person based on their body and stuff but but it's Los Angeles we know it's a, a prevalent issue yes. and it's very prevalent on social media it does affect young girls more than you know young men um, but I'm yes. seeing it permeate the gay culture especially the young gay boys so thank you so much for speaking out on that Yes. You know, it's also, we culturally have to shift our focus from the exterior to the interior. Oh, and if we don't stop looking now, look, I'm a person who cares about my appearance. I wanted to, you know, I'm not saying that we should just not completely disregard our, our physical bodies, (laughs) but, um, you know, and I like a good pair of shoes. So, you, you know what I mean? Like, but we have to focus on the internal life and mental health and, emotional health and a healthy body comes from that place. That's awesome. Yeah, I think I I mean, I totally agree with you. It's as long as we have people like you continuing to share the story and to bring it to the forefront, I think we can eventually find a happy medium. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I will say I, I got into recovery before it was like, super cool to be skinny, you know, and then all of a sudden it was like, the Kate Mosses and, you know, Allie McBeal was the number one show. And I was like, wow, I really missed the boat. Like I should (laughs) have stayed, I should have, I should have just stuck it out for another couple of years, you know? But so I feel like if I could recover through that, Yes. I'm, I'm pretty solid. That's, you know? that's right. <laughs> All right. Alisa, before we wrap up, I do this little segment called shitty self-care. And I really love to hear <laughs> what the shittiest form of self-care you did at your lowest and then juxtapose it to your self-care <laughs> now that you're in a better place. Can you, do you think you can pull, pull one out of the hat? Shitty self-care now, I would say is like a few too many Chardonnays and watching <laughs> And watching shows about cults and oh, yes. and or uh, terrorism in other countries. Oh, not American terrorism. It's too yes. close. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, you that's know what? Shitty self-care that's a now. pretty. Yeah, that's a shitty. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, my, mine is, uh, you know, popping an edible at the end of a long chemo treatment and watching South Park. So we all have our things. So at least I cannot thank you enough. This was so unexpected. I was truly, I have to admit now that I got through this, I was so starstruck to have you. I watched Clueless oh, during it. my recovery. No, I really, oh, I, I watched so many movies uh, that only certain things made me feel good, you know, and, yeah, and they were yeah. girl power movies, movies from my childhood, movies from my teenagehood. Mm -hmm. And Clueless was one of them. And I know it sounds so cheesy to say because it's been so many years but it really I felt that it's so surreal and so like you said synchronicity of having you here and a year ago you were on my hospital screen you know where I could barely keep my eyes open watching you so it's really oh full circle gosh. to see you here and to hear your story and to hear how interconnected we are that makes my day I really I thank you for sharing that with me well it's it's absolutely true and it, I will it, tell you as soon as I read your story I was like I want to do I, wa I was like I want to do that yes like I'm hitting the yes button I was like yes that's a yes 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 well I am so we glad do it now? <laughs> yes <laughs> let's do it yesterday well I'm so yeah. glad we've got to connect and of course the book comes out on June 8th give us a rundown of where we can get it and uh how we can keep in touch with you uh it's available for pre-order prior to June 8th you can get it on Amazon you can get it uh at Barnes and Noble barnesandnoble.com goodreads your local bookstore, anywhere they sell books. Yes, it's Wake Me When You Leave. And Elisa, where can we keep up with you on social media? I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Red Donovan. That's, and yes. on Facebook, it's Elisa Donovan. The, all the ones with the blue checks. That's you. That's, yes. Uh, I just started me. following your Instagram <laughs> and I cannot wait to stay in touch with you. And I cannot wait to read this me book. Me too. Everyone, June 8th, get your pre-orders going. Alisa, thank you so much. Jared, this has been a total joy. Thank you. And I just have to end it with this. You are the Polaroid of perfection. Thank you for being here, Alisa. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Back on Air is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Bigas. The theme music is by Josie Mark. Thanks for listening. And please follow me on Instagram at Jared Lips, on Twitter at Jared M. Lips, and email the show backonairjared at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you stream podcasts, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.